and one. we're back. Episode 31 about food advertising. We asked questions from you guys a long time ago in Geneva. Talking about food advertising. You know, things like Tony the Tiger. The food pyramid. McDonald's Happy Meals. But we wanted to integrate this with thinking about how this translates to like your age bracket now. Which is probably in college or young adulthood. And how to find autonomy in grocery shopping. Yeah, because you're definitely going to be limited in what your options are going to be when you go out to college. I know many people probably go to, like, typical college towns where you may have access to a grocery store that isn't, you know, a Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, and it might be, like, 10 miles away, or you might be restricted to only eating on your meal plan, so kind of navigating, you know, the dining halls and what your best options are going to be, because unfortunately, you know, a lot of colleges are going to have big contracts with different big agricultural like food companies and they're going to have a lot of say in what type of foods you're going to be able to consume. Yeah. Do you have any funny um, meal plan stories while at FIT? Yeah. All the tofu was always frozen. I would always go to the salad bar because I that was like really the only like option for me. And the only protein source was like either beans or like literally pinto beans or tofu and they were always frozen i would eat frozen chunks of tofu yeah nyu had a lot of scandals where they would try to label stuff as like vegetarian or vegan and they like didn't know which was which and like once again i'm not blaming it on anyone i'm just saying like it was not easy to navigate being vegan um and i remember there was this whole scandal where nyu had a c rating for its dining halls for like a few months and most restaurants in new york like do not have anything lower than an a or you get shut down by like the fda in a very short period of time uh, because someone found a large bug in the salad uh bar i guess so that was a fun little scandal one time they lost my id uh at the dining hall and i was late to class and i had an exam so that was fun I remember I would, you know, at the, um, it's so weird. I'm like thinking about being in a college dining hall, which is like relics, like vintage moments. Um, I would always like grab like five bananas to bring back to my like apartment. Like you were, you were not supposed to like take stuff out of the shit or out of the shit, out of the dining hall. And I would like hoard up like oranges and apples and stuff. That's hilarious. Yeah. Like with how my meal plan worked is more just like dollar, like I had just like Mm. dollars that I could spend. It wasn't like your three meals. So I was still able to like be able to grocery shop, which was like really, really nice. But yeah, the few times I would eat at the dining hall, it would just be nightmare. Yeah. I also remember that they had kombucha at my dining hall, which oh, was same. like, I was not introduced to kombucha until I like was came to college, I guess. Like I didn't ha- really, it was existed obviously in Minnesota, but I wasn't exposed to it. And so I remember I would get a synergy from GT's, like the trilogy flavor, because it was my dollars and I needed to use up my dollars, like whatever. And I would get like two a day. And then one day I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of caffeine, Kate. Because I was not a caffeine person in high school. I ate like, I had a very traumatic experience where I ate like a pint of Ben and Jerry's like coffee ice cream or something with like a few of my friends. We were studying for like an AP Euro exam and I could not sleep. I like pulled an all nighter accidentally because I was like literally staring at my ceiling in bed because I ate like so much coffee flavored ice cream. So I was like, Kate, no more caffeine. I couldn't have caffeine for a long time until I was like a sophomore in high school or in college. But I realized like, oh my God, there's so much black tea in my kombucha that I had to like wean myself off again. Um, But I was drinking so much kombucha. I wonder how my gut was. Yeah, I remember having hella kombucha. That was like my version of Red Bull. Yeah, and it was like kombucha and what are some other nostalgic things? Lots of Lara bars. 
Yeah, lots of Lara bars. Or, like, the Cliff bars. Yeah. What's my favorite Lara bar flavor? I, I like the lemon one. The, that's my mom's favorite one, the lemon zest one. No, she likes the peppermint, but the lemon one. Isn't that the favorite. Cliff? No, Lara... Oh, Lara bars. Those Lara are the Luna bars. The Luna bars got Luna Okay, Lara. wait. Since we're on the topic of food advertising, why are those advertised towards women? Like, what did they... I would love to go to the ingredient list. I'm not going to do it right now on the pod. It's probably, like, brown rice syrup. Well, no, but, like, what's the womanly ingredient? Does it have <laughs> maca powder? Because I Hell remember, no. like, we, my mom would buy them and be like, Matthew, those are not for you. Like, don't eat them. They, they are do, women's bars. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I don't... I don't know. I don't know if the... I don't know. They definitely were not using maca powder, though. Yeah, I don't know what are in the one of ours. Um, rest in peace. I think they still exist. I don't know why I'm saying rest in peace. They definitely probably do. But Lara bars, I liked they had a seasonal flavor. They had, like, snickerdoodle, gingerbread. I do remember. And something else like that. Honestly, Lara bars still slap. Like, I could see myself putting them on, like, a banana ice cream. Shout out Freely the Banana Girl for sponsoring this dessert meal idea. <laughs> I'm kidding. Fuck Freely. Obviously, on the record, we hate Freely. Um, but yeah, you know, we're going to talk about how food advertising like impacted our childhood. Cause if you guys don't know, or you're new to the pod, Emma and I are both born and raised in the Midwest and we moved to New York a few years ago. So like my experience with the food system was just like eating whatever my parents could afford. And it was just eating that standard American diet, had no consciousness of like this whole fucked up wellness industry. And if our tone hasn't come across, like Emma and I don't really love the wellness industry. Like we do shout out brands and like talk about like products that might be expensive and not accessible but that's not like an endorsement of them no in any way because there's I think you can still like use those products and be like very self-aware in the fact like this is like stupid yeah and I think it's like I you know I might take tocos but I don't take collagen so I feel like there's trade-offs with everything and I think judging anyone's like consumer habits like you could go down a rabbit hole of all the things we do spend money on all the things we don't spend money on so that's just that on wellness and how you budget but hopefully this podcast will be helpful of like thinking about your relationship to like what you were told as a kid and how that affects your food habits today um and thinking about like building lifestyle routines that you can take to you as you have more autonomy as you're in college or graduating out of college or like moving off campus for the first time and wanting to have pantry staples we're here for you girlies so let's get into episode 31 and so let's talk about the things that are war memories from our childhood. I remember one thing my mom would do, we would get McDonald's every time we went after like a dentist or doctor's appointment, just like as an easy lunch if we had something in the morning. And my mom was adamant about making sure that like, let's say it was Care Bear themed for that month or something that we would get every toy. <laughs> I don't know why that's such a distinct memory. You know, things like Tony the Tiger. We talked about kid cuisines before we pressed record. I ate kid cuisines all the time. Like, that would be, like, our special little treat that my mom would buy us from the grocery store. Like, honestly, I feel like my the lunches that my mom would always make for us would be either, like, the Tostino's pizza bagel bites or, like, pizza rolls. It was always, like, a rotation of one of those three. Okay, I remember my mom would never buy pizza rolls or something because they were, like, too expensive, which now I find to be, like, odd. I feel like they were very cheap. But all my friends would have pizza rolls, and I was remember like I was the dork at like the first grade birthday party because everyone's like, "Oh, I love pizza rolls," and I was like, "I've never had those before. Like, what are we talking about?" But I was a big simp for Kemp's ice cream. We had would always have like Emma and I talk about this all the time. Like, I would eat like two bowls of ice cream before bed as a kid. Oh yeah, all the time. We always had like Ben and Jerry's. 
I feel like growing up, or like the Costco's Kirkland, like vanilla ice cream. Or those little cups that have like the three stripes and the wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. You know, like the weird little, I don't even know what that's called. It literally looked like a stick and it would be like strawberry, the Neapolitan ice cream. Ugh, I could go down. Oh my God, there was this one. The Chip Witch cookies. <laughs> there was this one fucked up like uh, local fast food place called Broncos. And I remember I'd always go there with my aunt growing up and they had this one thing. Truly, guys, it's just a hot dog split in half in between a hamburger bun. It was like a hot dog sandwich. God, I have so many, like, specific ice cream memories. Like, the SpongeBob popsicle and the eyes would be gumballs and you Mm -hmm. would get it and it was supposed to look like the photo on the outside would be, like, melty as fuck. Those little drumsticks with the chocolate coating and the little crunchy nuts on outside. Um, what else was there? I mean, I feel like literally like my mom would be like, you guys can come grocery shopping and pick out one thing if you'd be quiet the whole time. Cause I had a twin brother with disabilities and older sisters. So like she didn't have like money obviously to pay for like a babysitter or childcare. So we'd have to like go to the grocery store with her. But she was like, you guys cannot be like drama. Like you have to sit in the cart and then like, maybe I'll get you like one little fun thing. Um, and most of the time the fun thing we would like compromise on my sister and I would like plan would be like some sort of ice cream thing. Um, but I, all I remember really in childhood, like learning about like health and nutrition was the food pyramid. Yeah. It was definitely just like the food pyramid for sure. That was like the standard education, like at health class. And I don't really think it should be on children to like learn like what asparagus is. Like obviously kids don't have the fucking like brain cognition to learn about If anything, there should just be education like for parents on like how to like, I don't know, feed your kids. But then again, it gets into a rabbit hole of like, if you have to, you know, um the meal plan that is offered mm-hmm. at your elementary school and if there aren't alternatives or like i remember we would if you got lunch from the school you'd have to pick certain amount of items like you'd have to get a vegetable a milk and like a sandwich or something like you couldn't just get like add-on things like you couldn't get three bags of chips because that didn't qualify as a meal so i remember as a kid i was like oh that's good because then some kids are going to just like literally get ice cream and like doritos for lunch um, but my mom was always like, you know, talking with the like school board people about like food options and stuff. Cause my brother has like adrenal insufficiency. And so like my brother would go and just like get like the chips and the ice cream. And my mom's like, okay, Matthew's going to pass out during class. Cause it doesn't have enough nutrition for him. Um, but once again, that's like, it's hard because it's not really on the parents yeah. because you're in a sub larger ecosystem of like whatever school your kid can go to. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets into like all the advertising spent um not only like on you know like what tv like tv channels that kids are watching but it inflicts like the contracts like i was saying earlier about like elementary school level kids and like what food you have access to um basically the food beverage and restaurant industry in the united states they spend almost 14 billion a year on food advertising which comes as no surprise based on like you think of all of like the nostalgic ads and stuff that you probably saw as a kid about like your favorite like snack foods or ice cream treats and how much of the food actually like is not about the food experience but it's about like the entire like visual experience with it and like the the memorability of the ads um basically like 80 percent of the advertising promotes fast foods sugary drinks candy unhealthy snacks which kind of creates this whole issue where like we have an obesity epidemic in america and a lot of it stems back to early childhood education based on like this kind of like fucked up like system of capitalism obviously and so it's like you can't place the blame on the individuals we've said in many podcasts about like 
food choices. And the food companies specifically target children, teens, and communities of color with their marketing for their least healthy products, which we're going to kind of get into in this next section, talking about like how food injustice and food advertising follows falls on different like socioeconomic and racial lines in the United States specifically. Um, but yeah, you know, hopefully we've brought up some food that you ate as a kid that might be nostalgic or people who live in the UK or any of our other podcast sure, listeners yeah, that might y'all be like, are probably now hell? thinking about all the crazy foods that you ate growing up. Yeah. If you want to shout out, I feel like this pod, I'm going to be very active in Geneva after it, like posting, like send photos of like things that you guys ate as kids. Cause I want to see it. Oh my gosh. Another one. I remember like 4th of July lolly or not lollipops, um, frozen popsicles, the frozen popsicles. Yeah. The blue, red and white ones go America. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. See you guys later. You know, Emma and I can't shut up about starting your day with the perfect oatmeal toppings. And you're probably thinking, what could be better than securing a bag of maca powder or matching with a boy who actually knows what adaptogens are? Um, hello, a large and juicy medjool date. That's why we're so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, Julie's. Julie's is a pantry staple for all the wellness gods. Their hand-picked medjool dates from Coachella Valley, California, are certified USDA organic, naturally vegan, and free of all allergens. There is no better way to snack on Jolie's than with your favorite nut butter or on a bowl of oats. And Jolie's even has a date syrup to drizzle on a stack of pancakes. So if you want to taste some Jolie's for yourself, definitely use code CMOSGIRLIES for 15% off your first order. Now back to the show. Okay, let's get into some basic political and government stuff. Now, this is something that's very interesting for me as the politics person. A lot of you guys, I'm sure, are very aware of big agriculture and what that really means, because I'm sure a lot of people eat like a plant-based diet and are very familiar with like the vegan documentaries about like thinking about what goes on at factory farms and just the meat and dairy industry and all of the advertising around that. Basically, one thing that most people might not know about are called ag-gag bills. So this deals with, um, it criminalizes whistleblowers, investigators, and journalists who expose unjust animal welfare abuses at factory farms and slaughterhouses. So that means that consumers are left without information about your food. So this is an issue where like government is not really regulating and controlling these industries and so you only really hear about this if you do watch like cowspiracy or different vegan documentaries and then it gets into this area where like who is the government protecting you know if the government is criminalizing journalists that are going to like expose unjust practices then like what are the consumers left to do another thing that there has been some you know attempts for the supreme court to regulate commercial speech and commercial speech is basically what like these big big food companies can say whether it be in telecommunications which would be advertising on television or now social media but basically until the 1970s the supreme court made no difference between laws restricting advertising and other business matters advertising was an economic activity subject to basic public health welfare and safety regulations and also first amendment things which relate to free expression there was this big case in 1976 which was dealing with prescription drug prices it struck down a ban on advertising of prescription drug prices i know if you watch like fox news now and it goes on the commercial break or any sort of like news network where they like know that their target audience has older people you will see a shit ton of ads for like 
hey, do you want to buy this drug for, you know, like various like health problem? And that's because there's been this like loosening of like which which um, advertisers can go directly onto the networks and say whatever the fuck they want. And it's very difficult for the governments to limit this advertising. And so that's why we see in like every sector. So if it's a kid's show, you're going to see products that are targeting kids and getting them addicted to sugary foods and drinks. If it's a show like Fox News that has like an older audience, you're going to be like targeting products that can alleviate joint pain. So the Supreme Court has never placed what are called age restrictions on advertising towards young people. But when you think about kids, they don't have a fully developed brain so obviously if you see a flashy ad and you see all like a monkey jumping around and like a rainbow you're gonna be like mom i want that product and there's not like the big broccoli industry coming and being like hi guys like get your kids fucking eating broccoli so it's difficult because kids are not this like protected class and they're treated the same as you know adults are um so that's an issue an area where like government can jump in yeah so i think like two like of the biggest i think campaigns or things that are marketed towards like kids or at least that I remember all throughout my life are like the got milk campaign and just like the happy meal and just how universal that is now today but like with the got got milk campaign I'm sure everyone saw those posters in their fucking like school cafeteria yeah um so it was actually created by good B. Silverstein and partners for California milk processor board because they were looking for a creative strategy to boost their sales as they were experiencing a decline from the rise of soft drink consumption. And so essentially what uh, Goodby Silverstein and partners did was they had consumers not consume milk for a week prior to participating in a study that was going to gather info on milk habits. And they basically discovered just this huge emotional connection to how to this household staple. So many people in the study were talking about like, oh my God, how am I going to go like you know, a week without consuming milk. Like, I don't know what I'm going to like use for my cereal now. And like realizing that milk is such an integral part of like everyone's daily diet, I suppose, if you do consume dairy. And then eventually kind of this like whole campaign ended up getting licensed with dairy boards across the country. So that's how it ended up spreading into being campaigned and marketed and advertised. And also just, like, the use of celebrities, again, I think that's, like, a huge thing, again, now with, like, social media, like, the use of celebrities, it's a very, like, you know, aspirational, and it's like, oh, well, if this person that I really, really like, or I know does really, really well in basketball drinks milk, then if I drink milk, I'll I'll turn into them. And this was, this had, like, a 25-year run, and on any given day, 80% of U.S. consumers came in contact with this this campaign, which is, like, absolutely insane to me. Mm -hmm. And obviously, clearly, because of that, it turned out, like, record milk sales, And so, again, that's just, like, the power of having, like, really incredible marketing is that, like, yeah, you can kind of convince a lot of people that whatever it is that you're promoting is, like, a good or bad thing. And I think it gets to a point where, like, there's no alternative. You're like, well, everyone's drinking milk. I have to drink milk. And especially when it's young people, too, that are being targeted. Like, you don't have the free will or, like, rational thought to be like, well, I don't actually want that. And another thing with use of celebrities is, like, everyone was told that they should consume Gatorade. I'm like, why am I going to, like, my little, like, basketball game in third grade and I think I need, like, all this Gatorade? My mom would always, like, pack me before swimming meats those Gatorade like chews electrolyte gummy chews and I was like I was like oh my god like I'm like so much better than everyone because I'm like (laughs) consuming these like Gatorade chews even though they definitely did not do jack shit yeah it's crazy how like commonplace some of these things seem growing up and then the next one is obviously again the happy meal 
Um, this was developed by Bob Bernstein, who was like an entrepreneur and businessman. And they really wanted to create a way to make the dining experience at McDonald's better for family and kids. And so the best way to do that is to give kids a toy. So there's like an incentive for them to like want to eat their fun food. And it debuted in 1979 and offered like a small toy inside, such as like a stencil or a racer. But now these toys are so much more elaborate as you know, they're associated with like family friendly, like films or popular cartoons. And we'll get into this later in the pod, but there's definitely been pushed to kind of avoid using the use of like toys to promote like more like unhealthy meals for kids. Um, because obviously kids are just going to like want to eat whatever comes with a food or whatever's like, you know, associated with their favorite cartoon. Yeah. And it's weird because I think it becomes a thing that kind of relates to like food now of like treating food as good and bad or like having rewards around Mm -hmm. food that's something that I didn't really realize is like I think a lot of parents would say if you finish your vegetables you get to have dessert Mm -hmm. and I think that translates a lot to like young adulthood and whether or not you kind of like practice that now if you were ingrained that as a kid that like you should eat your vegetables before dessert yeah that's a good thing but that also can just like create like black and white categories of food being good as bad or food being a reward for that um because I think that's like a subconscious thing that like most kids are probably told at a young age absolutely but yeah yo okay so now you guys are probably at like fourth grade maybe we've brought you up there (laughs) and now we're gonna get into more about like the school systems and kind of how that predicts like larger social health outcomes and how this could possibly be changed Okay, next section, we're going to talk about the fact that your zip code often predicts social outcomes. So when we think about like the politics of food choice, what you really have access to growing up, and most people can't really make food choices, especially if you're a young, impressionable child. For example, there are like plenty of plenty of socioeconomic disparities that impact like things like standardized testing. Um, I remember some districts would get like snacks before the school statewide tests, like they would get water bottles or you'd get like... Um, lifesaver mints they told us those would like make you smarter for the testing and that just shows that like it starts at such an early age when it comes to food and health and that relationship to like educational outcomes and opportunity um i remember eating like i don't know we would just get like weird snacks to like prepare you to like do better than other school we would always get like the lifesaver mints before like standardized tests or even for math tests all my math teachers would give us those yeah it's weird that like there's so much about health and wellness i didn't think about as a kid Mm -hmm. and like how you don't really put the two and two together yeah and performance with your food i guess was like a weird thing now but i'm like really the mint was supposed to like give me a good test score okay (laughs) Um, but now we're going to get into like school district stuff. Yeah. So again, like we talked about, there is so much influence with like big ag with in relation to schools and like what you're going to be fed and offered at, you know, grade school, college, high school, etc. So 50% of schools in the U S serve brand name fast food and 80% have some type of contract with food companies. I remember in grade school, we definitely had some sort of contract with Pizza Hut because we ate that like every other Wednesday. Like that was the option for our hot lunch option. Mm-hmm. And the School Nutrition Association or SNA, which is a national nonprofit organization, is who sets the standards for school lunch programs. And if you do some deep digging, half of its budget stems from common food companies such as Kraft, Coke, ConAgra. ConAgra is actually their headquarters were in Omaha for the longest time where I grew up. And so they had a huge influence on like what was offered mostly at like public schools. And so obviously these big companies 
were lobbying and in order to water down the criteria for school lunches in an effort to serve their product as opposed to you know healthier options such as like you know fruits and vegetables yeah and you think you would think like if you're not from the united states or just like generally like shouldn't the government shouldn't like the usda or like some sort of health organization be doing this versus like contracts with like shady industry but that's not how it is in the united states and there's also just so much unregulated food marketing in schools so 70 percent of elementary middle school kids come in contact with ads for fast food and soft drinks during school hours and this can be in different forms such as like direct advertising in classrooms corporate sponsored educational materials or product sale contracts yeah and so again it's just like so prevalent you know when you're at school that you may not even realize it and there's, again, like Kate has mentioned, so much money spent on childhood marketing, about $1.8 billion a year is spent by companies such as Coke and McDonald's to children as young as two years old, which is definitely, like, kind of problematic in the sense of, like, you know, these kids are just, you know, starting to develop a brain and, like, learning how to speak. And there's a rise of stealth of marketing due to social media, so you're not even being, like, realizing that you're even being marketed to the product, especially when it comes to, like, kids there's a new kind of thing called like advert games where it's like these free games and apps integrate junk food into games for children so again you're like using cartoons to kind of lure children into you know wanting to eat a certain you know cracker or snack etc i remember mcdonald's had the monopoly thing yeah every now and then um i mean there was that netflix show about like the monopoly and how it was all corrupt so interesting um but it's interesting that there becomes this relationship where like you expect to go back to like mcdonald's this many times a week or get this food this many times a week and it becomes a routine Mm because i think we talk about like healthy life routines a lot but we don't really think about like how an industry can control your own free choice because you're doing it at such an early Absolutely. age. Or even, you know, when a lot of the places would have like, you know, free meals for kids on Tuesdays. Yeah. I remember that too. Like you could get different discounts based on like what day of the week it was. And there's definitely going to be like disparities between like minority groups. And so minority children are more likely to be, to be targeted on healthy foods than white kids and between 2013 and 2017 spending on food advertisements towards teens of color increased by 50 percent from 217 million to 333 million and i think another thing to make note of as well as with like zip codes and like a food apartheids you know a lot of people of color and minorities are you know unfortunately in places where there are food apartheid so like their access compared to you know different zip codes where they might have like three whole foods in a five mile radius you're obviously going to be limited in what you're going to be able to purchase and also like just the type of foods that you're going to be exposed to. Right. And I think we've talked about this in like the food and climate change one, but another thing that it's like a unaccounted for thing when it comes to food is like the time that comes into meal planning and meal prepping and thinking about concepts like eating seasonally and locally and thinking about seed cycling, like the wellness stuff that we talk about and like say like, yeah, you know, if you have leisure time to go and seed cycle, like Emma and I both live alone in like apartments. And so that's why we can do these habits. Mm -hmm. But growing up in no way in hell were we like having the time to do that. So I think that's another aspect of um, how food advertising can play into this as well. Yeah. And so there's definitely been like push for policymakers to kind of prohibit this type of marketing towards children again, because they are very vulnerable and unable to differentiate between facts and outright pervasive marketing, thus like not allowing toys to be associated with like giveaways with like, you know mcdonald's happy meals or like just banning the use of cartoons and media characters with cereal boxes and other you know fruit juices etc and this has kind of again i think to 
on a global scale, there's been a lot of interesting things coming out from places in like Mexico and Chile because a lot of these big agricultural businesses and brands, they are definitely seeing a slower rate and sales growth in the US because there's been, you know, kind of this like whole push now for like healthy eating. And I think a lot of people are realizing like some of like the detrimental impacts of eating, you know, Pepsi's, whatever foods. And so they're going into places again, like in South America and the government, there's obviously been a government failure to regulate junk food, just like there is in the US. And just because there is like a dirty business and interest. And so like this marketing juggernaut has upended these cultures diets, which, you know, are very rich cuisines and are now being replaced with ultra processed foods. And these ultra processed foods are popular because of a lack of money and just it's cheaper than fresh produce, just like it is in the US. And because of this childhood obesity is a rising concern. And I think that is also another issue that is occurring in the US as well. But there are places in Mexico, such as the Mexican state of Oaxaca, which has the highest rate of childhood obesity. Legislator was legislator was passed in passed a ban in 2020 on selling packaged foods and sugar sweetened beverages to minors. They must be with the parent to purchase. So it kind of is placed in the same category as like cigarettes. And there's also been like octagon labels with warning signs with like high sugar and fat content on certain foods such as like chips or like your Twinkies, etc. Thus, you know, kind of a similar to a warning label that you would see on a cigarette box. And there's other Mexican states that have followed to propose their own bills in response to this like predatory marketing towards children, such as like Tabasco and Mexico City. So I think that's really interesting actually how many countries have addressed this issue and how that's like not even really something that's even seen in the US. Like you don't really see any of that, like, you know, rules about like kids not being able to purchase food without like a parent with them. Yeah. And it is interesting, like once again, culturally, how much we accept in the United States that like, yeah, we just have all these crazy food ads because that's how food advertising has been for a very long time. There's a vintage store in Minnesota that has all these vintage cereal boxes. And it's like, yeah, there's different characters back in the 1920s, but the same marketing towards different vulnerable groups of children. Now, I'm really interested if there are any, this is something I don't know politically, if there are any sort of groups, um, whether it be like nonprofit or different coalitions within the government that would be looking to elevate kids to what are called a suspect classification. So like that is something in the law where kids would be treated differently than adults would. I think we talked about this in the beginning a little bit, how kids, since your brain, um, you can make a constitutional claim that kids do not have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, thus you cannot advertise to them. I don't know if there's any push just because our government is defunct and can't fucking do anything. So um, no promises that we're going to get some sort of like beautiful thing to make food advertising more aggressive, specifically targeted at minors. But in the future, maybe we're going to have some cool government that could change that for all of us to make, you know, better regulations and better marketing specifically towards children. But when we get from the at back from this little section, we're going to talk about college for all you CMOS girlies that are entering college life. And now we're in college. Just like that. Welcome to Sigma CMOS girlies. <laughs> we're going to take you through college life. First off, college is very toxic and I feel very not blessed. I'm not going to say blessed, but you know, I think it's very easy to develop an eating disorder in college, just how toxic it is, like whether it be the pressure of like wearing like tight outfits and going out, sorority culture, 
all of that shit that I feel very fortunate that I didn't experience. Yeah, I remember, like, so many girls that I went to high school with talking about, like, what is it, like, rush and how it's, like, they basically judge you on your appearance and, like, I went and buys these, like, brand new clothes and I know, like, so many girls who were, like, yeah, I need to, like, go on a diet before all this. And I was like, what the yeah, fuck is like, this? Yeah, like, I didn't really have any friends that openly were like, I'm dieting to lose weight because this thing, like, you know, I just think it was, like, all secretive shit, which is not any better, I'm saying, but, like, yeah, I didn't experience any of the sorority shit. So if you're going through that or, like, are experiencing any sort of pressures to go to be in a frat or sorority or whatever, I wish you the best with all that shit because yeah. it sounds very scary. It does. My most experience with, like, I think developing a routine because I was not, like, a, quote, like, wellness god before going to college. No, I was just, like, vegan, but I was eating literally whatever. Like, I didn't take any supplements but a multivitamin because I knew, like, vitamin B12 and vitamin D I was deficient in. Um, but, like, my experience was mostly just, like, being on a meal plan and, like, it sucked that I was vegan and wanted to have more opportunity, which I'm sure a lot of you, like, CMOS girlies experience as well. Um, but it's, like, we talked about this earlier that, yeah, there are food contracts with college, so you don't really have many options, but I think we can talk about, like, ways to grocery shop, possibly, like, once you get that freedom. Absolutely, um, yeah. I know for me, you know, I was obviously limited with how much I could spend on groceries in college, obviously, since I wasn't working. And so for me, it was really just, like, focusing on really just, like, filling pantry staples. So my, you know, it was mostly just, like, oatmeals, potatoes, and then, like, nut butter and, like, frozen berries. And again, with, like, school, you're only going to have so much time to really make meals. And you might be limited in, like, what you have in your kitchen. If you even have a kitchen in your dorm, you might literally only have a microwave. Mm-hmm. So just, like, thinking of things that you can make based off of, like, what you have available to you. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I think it becomes, like, easy to get in this mindset that, like, oh, my God, every meal has to be Instagram-worthy. Like, girls, no. There's no way everything I eat is Instagram-worthy. And I think it's fine if you eat the same thing every day. Or if you meal prep and just have, like, stuff that you re-microwave. Like, that's a very common thing. And I feel like there is a pressure to be some sort of, like, food Instagrammer that is constantly, like, developing recipes. Like, I think I've fallen in that trap, like, oh, I want to buy, like, something new, and then I go through it, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I sometimes have felt like in order for me to be involved in, like, health and wellness, I have to, like, make the super fancy, like, kale salad, and it's, you don't. Yeah. You, don't. You, can, you can truly eat the mixed greens with a simple salad dressing and fucking roasted vegetables and call it a day and i think some ways to approach like trying new foods are going to be like dinner parties with friends or like one friend if you're like emma and i um emma and i don't really cook together because i feel like it would be boring and we would just i mean we do but like we would like just literally eat the same thing we're not like let's make a vegan happy zoe cake from scratch like i don't know we're at the point where i think we've tried that like i used to try to do that type of shit instead we'd rather just take ourselves out for a nice meal yeah um so i think that could be a fun approach to like trying new recipes or if you want to i think some things too with like the whole food blogger sphere is like if you want to bake a whole batch of cookies but you like don't want 24 cookies staring at you or 12 or whatever it be um that can be a fun thing but i think it can get toxic like some people in geneva were talking about like the quote healthy options tend to be the more expensive i'm thinking things like cauliflower rice or gluten-free flour alternatives uh, various like sweeteners like monk fruit could get pricey hot sauces could add up so i think the best way that i can advise like college-age people is you're like getting off campus is to start with the staples, like Emma said, and slowly think about what you will actually use. Like, will you use the goji berries every single day? Or like, should that be something you purchase once a month? 
and creating a budget when you first go out to grocery shop of like these are my staples and I have $10 of wiggle room a month so that's where I'm gonna like put my money and this is gonna probably be your first introduction to cooking for one Mm -hmm. whereas you know when you were at home you're probably able to like have your mom purchase you more things that other people in the household will would eat and consume and make and I think like cooking for one I even struggle with sometimes because it's like I want to make a soup yeah but it's like I don't want three million ounces of soup sitting in my fridge yeah and I think there's a lot of like recipes if you search obviously like you know we make fun of it but it's like in a fun way like I eat them the mug cakes or um certain like kitchen hacks of like how to save like food scraps like if you make almond milk you can take the almond pulp and then make that into banana bread or crackers or something like that um, if you make soup, there's ways to freeze it that can be really helpful. I think like f- using your freezer is going to be one of your biggest kitchen hacks if you are eating alone um, or cooking for one. Yeah, if you saying. buy too much broccoli, just steam it and freeze it, then you can eat it later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that can be helpful is if you want to, like for me in New York and like Emma too, like we grocery shop frequently throughout the week because like lugging stuff, we don't have access to a car. But if you really want to become like serious about budgeting, I think it is like appropriate to probably grocery shop like once or twice a week and write down like what are the staples you're going to get because thinking about what meals it's going to go into now if you eat the same thing every day I kind of go into the grocery store like a robot where I'm like okay I know I need a sack of blueberries and I know I need apples for my oatmeal or my pancakes I know I need yogurt and that will last me through the week but if you really want to get into making new recipes that could be a very expensive thing as well that's why I tend to not make recipes in all honesty because I'm like I don't want to buy five tomatoes for one thing and then I have extra and then I'm like wasting food because I want to like be conscious of how much food I'm bringing in and if I'm like not using it all so if you want to um I think there's fun like ways you can search on websites search like an ingredient and like okay I bought a head of cauliflower now what do I do with it and you could say oh like one night I'll make like buffalo cauliflower the next time I'll make like cauliflower tacos um just to make sure you're not wasting it and then like Emma was saying getting to the end of the day where you can freeze it or you can make it into like I don't know a smoothie or something like that but you know I think as you get older the food just gets really fucking boring like it's not as fun and gimmicky as you were a kid where you're like I'm gonna have cosmic brownies and I wish I could go back to like the day that I bought my first bag of maca powder and I know had that experience or you know the first time I bought the almond butter from Trader Joe's but now it's like oh I get to eat broccoli again again. (laughs) I know I'm like tomorrow I will be eating the same pancakes yeah and that's not to say like food's not exciting because it is very exciting to have food experiences with people Mm -hmm. and eat at restaurants and try new options or like you save a new recipe on your Instagram that maybe you'll make one day Emma and I always joke we have like a plethora of things in our save that we are never gonna make um but you'll find I think like foods that work for you and like ways of purchasing that work for you obviously like based on if you have a car if you live with roommates because I have never really had an experience also like we don't really touch on roommates but I've never cooked with my roommates um we've always just like bought separate groceries same but I think if you do have roommates that you want to cook with I think a best way to approach it could probably be like thinking about what you're both gonna use because I've heard like horror stories where like we, sh- we both split groceries and then they like ate all of it or they didn't eat it or like I bought all the groceries and then they ate all of it so make sure you're setting boundaries like first week of moving in because if you don't it gets hard in month two to like tear off those band-aids and definitely you know try to designate who gets what part of the fridge because I've had some issues with roommates in the past where it's like they just 
over oh, by yeah. and then it's like I have this one corner and it's like well I have like arugula and this fucking kabocha squash how am I gonna store this yeah so I think when like you're maybe you know a little nice like passive seamoss girly definitely stand up for yourself mm-hmm. that like health and wellness are very appropriate like important to you and you want to have parts of the pantry and the fridge um just to make sure that you're not like you know your arugula is not wilting because there are 12 plastic bottled waters in the free the fridge or something i remember now my freshman year roommate that girl i'm sorry to that girl she would get bottled water and put it under her bed and have like 50 like i remember when she moved out there were like bottles and bottles of bottles and i'm like girl for what and she also had a brita filter i'm like i drink the tap like what's going on here so make sure you know you you might get a, a random roommate too so that could be difficult but just stay in your little part of the kitchen and you know one day you're gonna have your own space to yourself and you can become a wellness god yes i guess that's the conclusion of the app um the time is now 9 42 kate and i have been together since oh my god truly i i, I want to say like 11 30 and tomorrow same shit um that's our life girlies uh, it's funny because you're going to be hearing this in like a week of when we record it just because we have some other things to attend and pre-record. To. Yeah, we have to make products. So we got to figure out new responsibilities of um, how we pod over here. But Emma's wearing Crocs and foam rolling and I'm drinking my magnesium. Yeah, it's time for me to go to bed. I know. I need to foam roll my feet. Um, unfortunately, I will probably be sitting on TikTok until my eyes actually like roll out of my head. <laughs> um, so if you have any good TikToks, send them my way. Um, you know, we can chat in the DMs. If you have any meme templates, <laughs> send them our way because, brother, it's dry out there. <laughs> Kate and I are both like, fuck, what you memes post? are we going to post today? <laughs> I, I have like two left. I'm like, can I post about Brazil nuts again? <laughs> uh, but, you know, like clockwork, we've done it again. We hope that you all appreciate this pod. Definitely send in Geneva some nostalgic pics of, like, weird things that you ate as a kid that you thought were normal. One of them being, like, did anyone eat the purple ketchup from Heinz? My sister fear Did, anyone, did anyone ever eat the walking tacos where it oh, would be yeah. a bag of the tacos. chips? And then it would you would crumble crumble up the Frito chips, and then you put like the meat and the sour cream inside the bag. In the bag, yeah, <laughs> fucking single serving sacks, yeah. That was like my favorite meal. Whenever my mom would pick me up from swim practice, I'd always be like, "What's for dinner?" She's like, "Walking tacos." Yeah, baby. and I was like, "Hell yeah!" I'd always like geek when I got the Blue Ranch Doritos. Is that the type? Yeah, Blue mm-hmm. Ranch or the cool no the cool Doritos, whatever the, the blue bag. Um, I don't know if that's Midwest behavior. Y'all can tell us in the fucking comments below. But would love to hear your food thoughts. Maybe we'll get a bag of chips. I don't know what we could even get. I'm thinking of like a bag of like sweet chips and we put like fruit into it. Can we like make a modern? Wait, what are we talking about right now? Okay, so we talk. <laughs> intro is going to be, outro is going to be about the walking taco. Like, could we make this with shit we eat now? Oh, yeah. But like literally try to list ingredients. What's going to be the chip? I think we could do some sort of pretzel. Mm. And then we add... Seitan? Like, we add salmon. We add tuna. Like, what? Eggs. The, the meat. The meat. God, the concept of, like, a scrambled egg inside a bag of chips is, like... <laughs> What's oh. other shit we eat? Um, well, I was gonna say... Scallops! Today. What the oh, fuck? No, I was... Wait, let's turn this into a sweet walking taco. Okay. So, pretzels, you add some ice cream into a into a plastic bag (laughs) you would put sour cream in the walking tacos thing like so we're putting coco june into a bag sorry to coco june i I am just now realizing how freeze-dried fruit 
Oh yeah, freeze-dried fruit. Because well, we don't want like it to melt. The drippy goop that we add. Are one of our products we're gonna launch? If we still launch that one in the future. If we still launch that. Okay. Okay, so um, coming to you soon. <laughs> um, once we launch our product, we're gonna eventually have some sort of like design for the the modern walking taco. <laughs> the modern walking. If taco. this gets thrown out. I, it, I'm already going to say 90% we are never going to develop this. But if you guys want it, look, I'm open to it if we have the funds one day. God, I'm just envisioning that. I would love to see an advertisement. You know, this episode's all about food advertising. Taco. You and I putting coconut also- yogurt in a sack. <laughs> all right. Yikes. Fuck the dessert okay, potato. We gotta go to bed. Fuck the dessert potato. Fuck the immunity potato. We're coming at you with the... <laughs> Modern walking taco. Yeah. Oh, my God. Our brains need to turn off. But thank you, as always, girlies, for listening to the pod. Episode 31 of What the Fuck is CMOS? TTYL.